Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, St. Paul is very hard to understand. <laughs> Let me just begin with that remark. You know, very often over the years, as I sit up in my presider's chair on Sunday and I hear the words of St. Paul being proclaimed, it's usually the second reading at Mass, I often think, there's no way people are taking this in. I'm not blaming you. I think you know, we take these little snippets out of the letters of Paul. And then see, Paul is also a densely complex writer. He's almost like a poet where he'll pack an awful lot of meaning into a few short lines. The other problem with Paul is the language he uses is often shifted in meaning over the centuries so that often we'll take in almost the opposite of what Paul meant. All this is just a way of saying what I opened with. I think Paul is difficult to understand. But, you know, I love St. Paul. And he's so important for understanding what Christianity is about. He's the first great theologian of our tradition. And in some ways, all the theology is just kind of a footnote to Paul. He's the one who explained to us what this thing is all about. So what I'd like to do in this homily is move very slowly through the brief second reading we have for today. It's a little snippet, four verses, from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Read it when you have a chance, by the way, the whole letter. It's not very long. You could read it easily in one sitting. Packed with theological importance. But I want to move slowly, step by step, through this uh, little passage from Galatians. Here's how he opens. Brothers and sisters, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I submit to you, it would be hard to imagine anything stranger for a first century person to say than that. My guess is we hear that line in church and we say, oh yeah, sure, Paul's boasting in the cross. But put yourself back in the first century. Don't think of crosses on top of cathedrals. Don't think of the cross on the wall of the room of a pious person. The cross was, in Paul's time, something unspeakable. The most miserable instrument of torture ever devised by the minds of cruel people. To die on a cross was, for Jews and Gentiles both, entirely shameful. Just about the most shameful thing you could say about a person was he ended his life on a cross. Boy, the last thing you'd ever think you'd boast about would be a cross. Apply it a bit to our own time. Suppose someone told you that your son would end up rejected by church and state Condemned to death by the legal establishment of the country. Exposed to public ridicule. Writhing in agony on an instrument of torture. 
Would you be in the mood to boast? Suppose that happened to your son. Suppose that happened to your brother. Would you boast about it? Wouldn't you be more likely to, to turn away in shame, to change the subject, to, to close your mouth and to cry about it? And so Paul says, I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he's doing? He's inviting us into the upside-down world of the Christian faith. Christianity turns the values of the world upside down, reverses expectations. Well, now, what gave Paul this crazy idea of boasting in a cross? He tells us, listen, this cross through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Huh. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, just to be clear about something, this has nothing to do with a world-hating asceticism. Paul is not Plato. He's not Plotinus. He's not a, a proto-Gnostic. There's nothing puritanical about Paul. He remained his lifelong a good Jew who had a good Jewish love for the whole of God's creation, spiritual and physical. So he's not saying the world, the physical world is bad. So what does he mean? The world, as Paul is using the word here, has a negative connotation. It designates, listen, all those powers of sin and division and hatred that serve to structure the society that we know and in which we live. I'll say it again. All those powers of sin, division, hatred, that serve to structure the society we know and in which we live. All those forces, however respectable, however venerable, contributed to the death of Jesus. That's what struck Paul. You'll find something similar in the Gospel of John when the same word world is used negatively. The powers of the world that stand against the church. The world will oppose you. Here's the central thing. We must never lose sight of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead for St. Paul. Yes, the world killed him. The forces of hatred, the forces of oppression, all those things that have invaded the whole of society, they killed Jesus. But God raised him up. This has nothing to do with vague symbolism, nothing to do with wishful thinking, nothing to do with psychological projection. The risen Jesus in his glorified body, appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, appeared to him, and in light of that experience, everything changed. God raised Jesus from the dead, and this can only mean that what contributed to the death of Jesus is under God's judgment. What contributed to the death of Jesus? The world. See what I mean? The world. 
Ah, that's the way the world is. It's a cruel place. You might say to a, a teenager who's been naive about things, hey, that's the way of the world. In light of the resurrection, Paul says, I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. Meaning, I now realize that that world is finally powerless. That world, and Paul acknowledges, I was part of it. I persecuted the church of Christ. That world is passing away. That world means nothing. That world is under judgment. All the negativity of sin, Jesus took it on. And through the power of the resurrection, He took it away. Don't we say it, of course, at every liturgy? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins, listen, of the world. The sins of the world. That's why St. John can say, this faith of ours has conquered the world. Now, what follows from this next line of Paul's poem? Listen. For neither does circumcision mean anything, nor does uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Now, that's a line almost as breathtaking as the first line about boasting in the cross. Neither does circumcision mean anything, nor uncircumcision. Well, for a Jew of Paul's time, a Jew like Paul, that's crazy talk. Because circumcision, that bodily mark which identified someone as a Jew, was all important. It's the mark of the covenant. That you belong to this special race, this chosen people, this special tribe. What separated Jews from Gentiles, the circumcised from the uncircumcised, that was centrally, crucially important for a Jew like Paul. And so for him to say in this, in this flippant way, that means nothing, circumcision or uncircumcision. Friends, it means something so radical has happened to him that it's turned his world upside down. And what that is, is again the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What does he see in its light? That the world is under judgment. And part of what the world means is Division, stratification, separation, the inside versus the outside. Who's loved and who isn't? He sees, listen now, even this highest religious value of his own people, the division between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, even that, he now concludes, belongs to the world. Elsewhere, Paul says, in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no man or woman. Ah, those most elemental divisions by which we understand and organize and stratify the society. All of those, he's saying, belong to the world. That old universe of sin and death which has been overcome. So not circumcision or uncircumcision, but only a new creation matters. Ah, there's the whole of Christianity in that little phrase. 
Who is the risen Jesus? He's a new creation. A new life form. A new field of force. The risen Jesus is this mystical body in which we are called, in Paul's language, to participate. Often in his letters, he compares Christ to a living organism. He invites his readers and listeners not just to listen to him, not just to follow him, but to live in him. You see what he's saying? Stop living in the world. That's under judgment. I could care less about the structures of the world. I don't care if they're backed up by Caesar Augustus. I don't care if they're backed up by, by the most venerable institutions of the society. They are under judgment. They have been conquered. And now I want you, says Paul, to us, to start living in this new world, this new creation which is nothing other than the mystical body of Jesus. Look at the last line. He says, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule and the Israel of God. What's the Israel of God? Christ's body, the church. Peace and mercy will come, not to those who live stubbornly in that old world that's passing away, that old world is under judgment. Peace and mercy will come, to those who live in this new Israel of God. Christ, the new creation. There, friends, in about six lines, in Paul's beautiful theological poetry, is the whole drama and mystery of Christian faith. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.